the hallway, there were two displays. One is for Dr. Odell's mission, Baptist Mid Missions, and I'm sure he'll speak more to that so I won't steal his thunder. But across from that was the Christmas table. And uh, for those that are new to our church, that may have come as a surprise to see Christmas decorations in October. But for those that have been part of our ministry for some time, it is coming as no surprise to you when you see that table. That is for our Christmas bags that we work with our missionary Earl Hammonds in the Dominican Republic. He also has a mission that helps with some of the Haitian children as well. And those bags can be filled with, and I see already some folks have grabbed some. There you go, Bill's got one. And uh, you can you fill those up, and there's actually uh, so there's actually a, a, a piece of paper, a pink side and a blue side with some suggestions, and you fill that up with toys and the like for the kids there in the Dominican Republic. Earl Hammonds has a wonderful ministry there that works with um, even some uh, kids in their school. He has kids for both the Dominican and across in the Haitian kids as well that come over. He has a ministry that speaks both in Spanish, another one in Creole, all for kids in their ministries, and he will take as many of these Christmas bags as we can send him. So the, just think of it this way. The, the more bags that you fill, the more kids will get a Christmas bag. So uh, he obviously has a goal and a number in mind. If we exceed that goal, he guarantees there's more kids in Dominican Republic and Haiti that would love to have them. And uh, over the years that we've done this, we've now done this with him now. This is coming up on, what, four years, Brother John, I think? Or three? Is it four or three with, with, with uh, Earl? Do you remember? This is three. This is year three with him. But already there have been some uh, family connections that have been firmly entrenched into his ministry that started with the connection through this particular ministry. Some of these kids, the, really the first tangible act of love that they have are these bags. So two ideas for you. Number one, if you've never done this before, obviously you should do this. This is a worthwhile venture for you. Number two, if you've done this before and you have the ability to, uh, always look to try to expand it. Maybe you can double what you've done in the past. Maybe you can add one or two more than what you've done in the past. Whatever you can do to expand that, because the more we expand this, uh, the more we have an opportunity to minister to those children. So uh, as you're leaving today, grab those bags, grab those uh, uh, instructions on what to do with them, bring them back, and there are boxes on either side of the table there that you can drop them in. And it would be pretty cool to immediately, even tonight, have those boxes full. So we'll be collecting them all through the rest of this month, all through November, all through most of December, and then we'll be shipping them off uh, with Missionary Flights Aviation down at Fort Pierce to get them to Dominican Republic. So be thinking about that. Final mention as well, and we mentioned this a lot. If you have children, this is a great opportunity to do this with your kids. Uh, we always bring our kids through the store and let our kids pick the toys, not for themselves, but for the other kids. And Adeline's now old enough that she remembers, which is pretty cool. So she came down the hallway and she remembered what we were doing and asked if we'd do that again. And I said, absolutely, we're going to do that again. So we'll We'll kind of be doing that with your kids. You can be teaching them about missionaries as you do that. The other things this week are, there are several things this week, and we're going to repeat these during the service, but I want to say this now. Tomorrow evening is our mission, uh, our evangelism seminar. The, the auditorium will be set up very similar to how we have it set up for Wednesday night. 
and we'll be here with Dr. Odell, and it'll be an opportunity for us to look at missions locally. Missions always starts at home before it goes abroad, and uh, we need to make sure that we are being missionaries as well. So uh, we'll be doing that here Monday evening. Tuesday, there's nothing in the evening. Instead, we have basically a prayer breakfast, and that will be over in the fellowship hall. Again, Dr. Odell will be the speaker for that. And as it's a prayer breakfast, he'll be teaching us on how to pray for your missionary. So come with a notepad. And what's that? There is a sign-up sheet, Lori said, in the Welcome Center. That'll help us prepare because there will be some breakfast foods for that. So you may want to come out for that. And uh, then finally, Wednesday is the conclusion of our missions month and our missions week with Dr. Odell. It starts at 5.30 with our international dinner. And uh, we'll give, the, you can remember, I don't have it on front of me, so I'm not even going to try to guess. It's according to your last name, what kind of food you're supposed to bring. And uh, you can try to bring and, and be creative as you want. And as we mentioned before, but if you are just dead set on your favorite dish from a particular continent that you are not assigned to, it's okay. You can still make that dish. We will not hold your feet to the fire on that one. Uh, but we'd love to have you. And then we'll conclude in here for the Wednesday night. And I intentionally left out uh, the most exciting, one of the more exciting things that we've been working on. And that is this Sunday evening is our missions musical. Our choir, our drama team, the children's choir, they'll all be up here as a part of that. We've, they've been working on it faithfully for some time. We've even seen some videos about that missionary in preparation for that. Please come out back Sunday evening. Invite a friend or two to join you. And uh, you may want to come a little earlier so that you can get a seat. Just for parents to know, there will be no children's missionary hour this week because they are with the kids. Uh, Pastor Paul has them in here. So there's still something for them. What's that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we will close with a, we'll begin, I shouldn't say close. We will begin with a word of prayer. And then I'm going to give it over to Dr. Odell Kurt. Yes, early boning starts tomorrow, but that's a missions announcement. But yes, we can we can talk about that. All right, yeah, all right. We will that we can vote for missionaries. All right, we'll start with the word of prayer, and then I'll give it to Dr. Odell. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the chance it is to come together and to learn about missions and missionaries. We're so thankful to have Dr. Odell with us this morning and on through the rest of the week. We've been looking forward to this and praying about it. Lord, may you be honored in all that's said and done. We pray this in your name. Amen. Dr. Odell, if you would. Thank you, Pastor Caleb. It's great to be with you this morning. We stepped out of, out of our hotel room this morning. Warm air, which is a, a strange thing for those of us that live in Cleveland. My wife and I live just outside of Cleveland. And as we were catching our flight to come down here the other day, uh, not only was it raining, it was before, before the sunrise, and so not only was it raining, but there were these little chunks of white stuff that you never get down here. It's a four-letter word, so we don't say it, okay? Um, but that was in the air, and so what a nice time for us to escape that, uh, that nasty stuff and be able to enjoy a little bit of Florida weather and to uh, look forward to our time together with you over the course of this week. I'm going to introduce you to my wife and family here in a minute, but I want to start actually by, by showing a video. And that video will, will kind of give you a little bit of a, a glimpse of what the Lord has done over the course of the last year and a half through some of our missionaries at Baptist Mid-Missions. And I, I show it really to say thank you, to say thank you to churches like Faith Baptist and the wonderful partnership that Baptist Mid-Missions enjoys with churches like this that are not only sending missionaries, but are supporting missionaries around the world. Because... 
you'll, you'll hear me say this later, but I might as well say it now. BMM really doesn't have missionaries. Uh, we just simply serve churches that have missionaries. And so it's a joy to be able to partner with churches like Faith Baptist and to see what God is doing around the world to continue to build his church. And some of this was shot, some of this video was shot when, when COVID was a little more rampant or a little more difficult than it is now. I know things have kind of gotten a little bit better for us. And so keep that in mind as you think about what it was like even as much as a, a year ago, uh, what we were doing and even what our missionaries were doing around the world. And yet God continued to, to, to use the gospel to reach people and to build his church just as he promised. And so I trust that you will enjoy this video and the opportunity just to hear a little bit about what God is doing around the world through your church. Since the founding of Baptist Midmissions over a century ago, we have enjoyed a vibrant partnership with local churches and faithful donors. We are especially thankful for that partnership as we reflect on this past year. As we look back, we can see how what the Bible says is true. Nothing can stop the power of the gospel. In a creative access nation, missionaries had prayed for years that God would send 30 students to their seminary. They had a big goal that seemed impossible, to train 300 church planters for their region. But the seminary's class sizes had never been greater than 24. When the pandemic hit, they weren't even sure if the seminary would survive because it depended on visiting professors from other countries. But even with the missionaries' limited resources, God enabled them to switch to online classes. This year, 385 students are studying at the seminary that in just one year's time has gone from the smallest in the region to the largest. Prayer always plays a critical role in victories like this. And that was absolutely true in the church growth that Joel and Beverly Schoaf saw in New Zealand. Five years ago, the Schoafs could have easily thrown in the towel on their ministry at Bay Baptist Church. The challenges had become overwhelming. But more than a year ago, the Schoafs began praying that God would send a revival like that of the Great Awakening. Their supporting churches joined them in those prayers. In their high school ministry alone, the Shofs have seen five students saved at just one event, and nearly 20 students are now asking for in-depth discipleship. One student told her mother, now I feel like there's purpose in my life. Adult church members are stepping up to help in ministries and invite unsaved friends to events. New members are joining and giving has increased so that the church is taking its first steps toward becoming self-supporting. We could tell even more stories. Stories like Brazil missionaries Jonathan and Jenny Reiner rescuing a church on the brink of closure. The church is back on solid ground doctrinally and the church members are excited to reach their community for Christ. This church is strategically located and has a potential to become a hub for future church planting. On Staten Island, New York, former Liberian missionaries Nate and Carol Watkins serve among a poor community of Liberian immigrants. The church desperately needed a larger place to meet, especially with New York's social distancing requirements. God provided a storefront property for under $500,000, and he provided the money for the purchase. Truly a miracle in New York City. Another miracle happened in Ghana, West Africa. For nearly 20 years, Penny Whitty dreamed of starting a Christian school to help the youth of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Three years ago, God provided a property at nearly half the asking price. This year, the property was paid off and the school reached a record attendance of 343 students. 
Students are growing in Christ and unsafe families are being reached. In addition to all of this, Baptist Mid-Missions School of Church Planting had its largest attendance ever. 45 people participated in this four-day intensive training seminar that equips pastors, church planters, and missionaries with the tools they need to strengthen their congregations and start new churches in the U.S. and overseas. And that creates even greater gospel impact. Nothing can stop the gospel. And this year, God has shown himself mighty and faithful through the work of Baptist Mid-Missions missionaries. We share these stories not only to encourage you, but also to say how grateful we are for you, our partners in missions. Let's look to the Lord to bring even more stories like this in 2022 as we partner together to advance the gospel worldwide. Perhaps my favorite part of that video is just the, the portrayal of the statement that nothing can stop the gospel, that the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to impact hearts and lives and souls, and that Christ is fulfilling his promise to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we're thankful for what the Lord has done over the course of the last year and a half, despite a pandemic. Let me introduce you to my wife, my sweetheart, sitting up here in the, in the front, near the front with me. Uh, Ruth and I have been married for 32 years. We met in the basement of a small Baptist church in southeastern Minnesota. Uh, I attended a youth activity not having been to a Baptist church. I was a believer, but had never been to a Baptist church before. But I was told that if I went to youth group, there'd be cute girls at the, at the youth group activity. And I didn't know that the Baptist kids were all late. So I was there with my older sister, just the two of us and the pastor and his wife, getting to know them, no other teenagers there yet, but noticing over the shoulder of the pastor as the teenagers started to roll in and arrive late that uh, there were a number of girls coming through. And I was talking to him, but I was noticing the girls. And I uh, thought, man, there are no cute girls coming through the door. And I thought that Baptists were liars. And until finally this cute little redhead came walking in, I thought, oh, there's at least one cute girl at this Baptist church. And that was the beginning of uh, eventually meeting her. I won't tell you the rest of the story. It was a really bad youth activity, bad game that we played and all kinds of stuff. But uh, despite all that, she eventually, um, eventually decided I was okay. And uh, thankful that uh, we've been married now for 32 years. And God blessed us with a wonderful family. Uh, this was taken before our third daughter's wedding this summer, actually this spring in May. And so if you look at the picture on the left-hand side is our oldest daughter uh, with her husband, Eric, and their two little ones. They are serving, he's a camp director of Higher Ground Baptist Bible Camp in, uh, in Sterling, Alaska on the Kenai Peninsula. That by chance and by God's good grace actually is the fruit of Baptist Missions Church Planting in Alaska. A number of years ago, those uh, BMM missionaries decided to start a start a camp and uh, he became the camp director before I ever became the president of Baptist Admission. So it's neat how the Lord put that all together. And they of course have our two little granddaughters. They just actually flew outside. That's what Alaskans call it when they leave Alaska to go to the lower 48. They just flew outside yesterday. And so they're outside, which means they're in Iowa right now. And we're looking forward to seeing them. And then our second daughter is just off of my shoulder on the right side of the picture. And uh, her name is Tori and she's married to Temi. She was a student at Faith Baptist Bible College involved in campus ministry at Iowa State University when she met Temi, who was studying there at Iowa State. Temi was born in Nigeria, Africa. His parents immigrated here when he was a little boy. And they met and are married and are now in campus ministry uh, in, in uh, Saint, Minneapolis and St. Paul. They served there at Iowa State for a while in campus ministry and then just this summer moved up there. 
And then on the other side in the back row is our third daughter, Julia, and her husband, Brett. And she's administrative assistant at the church I used to pastor, First Baptist Church of Elyria, Ohio. And she and Brett just got married in May. And they are the only ones of our kids that are probably going to live near us. They live about five miles from us. So we have you know, those in Alaska, those in Minnesota. And then our son in the back row, the smiling one back there in the back, uh, he is a senior at Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa. And he just got engaged a few weeks ago. So we're excited about that. I suppose we probably ought to put a picture of his new fiance up there as well. He would appreciate that. So that gives you a little bit of a glimpse of our family. Of course, for us, probably the greatest joy is these two little ones. There's just something about someone calling you Papa, right? And I'm very thankful for that. And we're grateful that uh, we get to see them in a couple of weeks as they are outside, as I put it, and they'll be coming out to Ohio to visit us. I want to today, though, take our time to focus on uh, Baptist Midmissions and what the Lord has used Baptist Midmissions to do over the course of the last 102 years. BMM is 102 years old. And so one of my joys as I became the president was the, having the opportunity to celebrate as a brand new president the 100th anniversary of this mission organization known today as Baptist Midmissions. But as, as you think about missions and you think about the Great Commission, I want to start out by asking you this question. And the question is this, where do you find the Great Commission? Where in the Bible do you find the Great Commission? All right, someone said Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, primarily, right? Maybe start in 18 as well. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where else? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? Talks about how we're going to be witnesses unto him in Judea and, and, and so on and so forth, the different regions of the world, right? Where else? Mark, Mark chapter 16, we're told to go and preach the gospel to all nations. So there you have it as well. Where else? Luke chapter 24. By the way, don't feel badly. Every church I've ever asked that question never gets to Luke chapter 24. That's why I go there, okay? So let's go to Luke chapter 24. Because of all the examples of the Great Commission in the New, New Testament, this is probably the one that we have the most tendency uh, to forget. To forget the fact that the gospel is mentioned here and the Great Commission is mentioned here, perhaps even in some ways with a little bit more detail than it is in some of the other examples of the Great Commission. Mark 16, Matthew 28, Acts 1, and verse 8. And my intent this morning is not to do an exposition of this passage of Scripture, but to at least introduce this passage to us, remind us of the Great Commission, and then, and then kind of show you from, from history, from the past, the present, and the future, how this is what Baptist Midmissions is all about. It's all about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So if you're not already there, Luke chapter 24, and I'd like to begin reading in verse 44. Luke 24 and verse 44. And you'll notice the elements of the Great Commission as they are described here in Luke 24, beginning in verse 44. Then he said, that's Jesus, that he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of, the, of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they, may, they, they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I would stop there and just say, Jesus explains the whole gospel even there, perhaps even with more detail than the other examples of the Great Commission, in that he speaks there of his death and his burial and his resurrection. That is according to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, the gospel, the death, 
burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our stead for our sin and his, his triumphant victory demonstrating that he is God and that God is satisfied with his sacrifice. But then verse 47 says, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to what? To whom? To all nations. There you go. To all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. So there's the Great Commission. It's that God, taking that gospel message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that is the only way of remission or the forgiveness of sins that then must be taken, that message must be taken to the world. That is the Great Commission. And there's, of course, more to it and other text of scripture will expand on the significance and how that all comes about and how that works but that's what baptism and missions is all about it's about fulfilling the great commission and that's been our passion since our inception and i'd like to today talk to you a little bit about that and i like to think of it in terms of i just hit my clicker like seven times <laughs> in terms of our our heritage and I, I use the word heritage rather than history because i'll be honest Growing up, I didn't like history. How many of you loved history growing up? How many of you didn't like history growing up? How many of you had a good teacher that taught you history growing up? How many of you had a bad teacher that taught you history growing up, right? So here was my problem. My problem was this. I went to a public high school, and I'm pretty sure that all the public high school teachers that I had that taught me history were just hired because they were also good coaches, all right? So they were like the basketball coach, the football coach, the track coach, and I'm not really sure they were hired because they were good teachers, and so I didn't like history in high school. It wasn't until I got to college and I found out, wow, history is amazing. And I had a couple of, of history professors at Faith in Iowa that just really got me excited about history. But part of it was is they didn't just teach history as dry, boring facts, you know, timelines and people's names you had to memorize and dates you had to memorize. They, they brought it together. Actually, one of my favorite classes was called that. It was called American Heritage, not American History. But heritage, and this teacher of all things who was born in Germany and was a, was a German citizen who fled, fled East Germany when the Berlin Wall went up and all that happened in our history, he of all things taught American heritage. And he taught it at such a level, it was so amazing because he focused on that idea of heritage. Heritage is something that you receive from a previous generation that is a legacy that is handed to you that you are to steward and then pass on to the next generation. It's more than just history. And so when I speak of Baptist missions in our past, I speak of it as that, as a heritage. That we have this wonderful heritage of 102 years of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. And so let me tell you a little bit about that heritage. Baptist missions was founded as a result of this man that you see on this slide. His name was William Haas. William Haas was a pastor in Columbus, Ohio. And in the early, uh, early 20th century, he had a, a tremendous burden for Africa. He learned about Africa by reading a number of books. And he realized that there were portions of Africa that were, where people lived and died having never even so much as heard the name Jesus Christ, let alone a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that stirred his heart, that there were people that were living and dying having never heard of Jesus. And so he resigned his pastorate and left for Africa in 1911 with the burden to reach Middle Africa. That was his special burden because he had heard and, and, and learned that in, in coastal Africa, there, were at least, there was at least some missionary effort that was going on. There were those that were trying to reach the African continent primarily on the coasts and the cities. That wasn't his burden. His burden was to take it to a place where it had not yet been taken. 
And so he left for Africa. Of all things, it took him three years to get from the port of New York City to around the coast all the way to the east side of Africa and then go all the way interior on foot in canoes and dugout canoes and, and actually had issues with the, with the French authorities to get to what was then called French Equatorial Africa. Finally, after three years, he reached that, reached that region, began to learn the language. He learned that he couldn't just learn uh, one specific tribal language because every group had their own language. Every tribe had their own language. What he quickly discovered was that Sango was the one language that, that brought all these different tribes together because it was the language of trade. And so he began to learn Sango. Eventually, actually, he was the first person that, that wrote Sango for the first time. In other words, Sango had never been a written language until William Hobbes began to write that and others then joined him in, in, in doing that. And, and I won't go into all the details. It's really an amazing story of what God did as he began to lead people to Christ and as God began to use him to reach souls for the Lord, he realized that he couldn't do this alone. And so he came back to the United States with one primary, primary goal, and that was to enlist other people to join him to go back to Africa. But the secondary thing that he learned is he was enlisting people in churches and colleges and seminaries and gathered a, a group around him was this. He realized that he also needed an organization that would hold the ropes, to use another missionary term from years before. An organization that would enable him to, to have the finances and the resources and things like that. And if you know anything about your Baptist history, um, things weren't going very well, especially in the North at the time. At the time, there was a Northern Baptist Convention that was exploding theologically because of liberalism. And so he realized that, that he couldn't connect with the, with the Northern Baptists. And there really weren't independent Baptist groups as such. It was primarily those two big organizations, Northern Baptist, Southern Baptist, and a few other small. And so he just realized, I just need to start something that's totally independent. And so he gathered a group of 12 or 13 pastors and laymen in a prayer room, a First Baptist Church of O'Leary, Ohio, which just by coincidence is the church I had the joy of pastoring for nine years. And so he gathered them together and he said, you know what, we ought to start an organization that is independent of all conventions and conferences and it's just an independent Baptist mission organization. So they founded, of all things, what you see on the wheel there, they founded the General Council of Cooperating Baptist Missions of North America Incorporated. Anybody want to guess why that name didn't stick? <laughs> right? It's entirely too long. And you'll notice that this was our first logo. This came along a few years later. But you'll notice, though, that at the very bottom, it was Mid-Missions. That was actually our nickname, was Mid-Missions, because of our founder's desire to go to what part of Africa? middle of Africa. And so eventually, it wasn't actually a, until the 1950s where this officially happened, we eventually changed our name to Baptist Mid-Missions because we became known really as Mid-Missions or even Mid-African Mission was another a tag that was given to us. And eventually we changed to Baptist Mid-Missions. And so it was a fruit of that meeting in that little prayer room that founded what became eventually Baptist Mid-Missions. And I find it interesting as, as I think about that, because when they walked out the door after those meetings and founding that organization, they, had, they recorded a twofold purpose. And the twofold purpose was, was simply this. Number one, it was to reach the millions of souls for whom Christ died scattered over the globe, still waiting for the news of salvation. If there was anything that I would change about that, what do you think it might be? That, that's the only thing I would change. I don't know where that came from, but that's the only thing I would change. The only thing I would change about that statement was not just to reach the millions, but to reach the billions. Perhaps they didn't even know that at the time that they started Baptist Missions, there were two billion souls on planet Earth. Two billion souls on planet Earth. And so to reach the billions of souls. And then the second purpose statement was this, to awaken the churches of the United States to carry out their responsibility 
uh, to their responsibility in carrying out the Great Commission. And I would just ask you this question today. We're 102 years after that, okay? Is that needed today as much as it was then? <laughs> Both of those are needed even more today than, than they were needed back then. As a matter of fact, I find it interesting. There were 2 billion souls on planet Earth in 1900. In 2023, they say we're going to reach 8 billion souls. So there'll be 8 billion souls on planet Earth in 2023. Interesting missions fact is this, that out of those 8 billion souls on planet Earth, 1 in 4, that's 2 billion, have no gospel witness. One in four have no gospel witness. And that is defined by missiologists in this way. They don't have a Bible in their heart language, easy access to a Bible in their heart language. They don't know a Christian that could explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And they are not within distance, proximity of a gospel preaching church where they, they could go and even hear the gospel. Can you imagine that being true of you? Can you imagine not having a single Bible, not knowing a single Christian, and there not being a single church that preaches the Bible in, in your vicinity? And yet one in four people today... That's true. And so the need is as great today as it ever was for organizations like Baptist and Missions and for us to continue to fulfill the Great Commission. The second one to awaken the churches. Do our churches need to be awakened? <laughs> I travel to, to churches Sunday after Sunday, and honestly, I'm thankful that this is a mostly full auditorium here this morning. There are a lot of churches I go to where it's the other way around, where, where it's about a third full and where things aren't too lively. Things are pretty dead in a lot of our Baptist churches nowadays. And so my prayer as I go out to the churches is God would use me to awaken the churches of North America as to our responsibility in carrying out the Great Commission. So the need is as great today as it's ever been. So that's our heritage. But I also want to focus on, that's the past. I want to focus on the present. And that, those ideas were kind of boiled down into a mission statement of a number of years ago at Baptist Mid-Mission. And our mission statement says this. It simply says that the Baptist Mid-Mission's family exists to strategically advance the building of Christ's church with his passion and for his glory in vital partnership with Baptist churches worldwide. Now, that's a lot, okay? And I will, I will, I will try to move through these fairly quickly. But if I pick that apart like a typical Baptist preacher, I think there are seven traits of our mission statement. There are seven traits of the things that, that, that we ought to be doing that we want to do as an organization at Baptist Mid-Missions. The first trait is that, that our mission statement is familial, okay? And I'm thankful. I contrast that with like corporate, okay? I contrast that with just a, an organization that is maybe policy-focused, that is cold. Rather, we are a warm, principle-driven, people-oriented ministry. And I'm thankful for that. You know, I had the joy of being the pastor of the church that hosted the annual conference of Baptist Mid-Missions for, for a number of years. And it was awesome to watch the missionaries come home from the field on furlough. And there was lots of loving going on. <laughs> lots of hugs and lots of smiles and lots of rejoicing. As it was, I, I like to describe it as a, a family reunion of Baptist Mid-Missions, as the family got back together. And there are a lot of other things that I think describe our family. We, we pray together, we rejoice together, we cry together. And a family conference is an example of that. And so it's, it's really a joy. I'm thankful I get to serve a family. Our mission is also intentional. And, and, I, and I say that from that phrase, strategically advance. Because while vision often, often starts with a person or two, strategy is usually developed by an entire team. And I think back to William Haas as I think about that in this regard, that Haas had a vision, but it took a group of people that outlived him to fulfill that vision. The rest of the story with William Haas is this. He went back to Africa and four, four years later was with the Lord. 
He suffered from a lot of tropical diseases that were the consequence of serving in that part of Africa. And as a result of all those diseases, his body succumbed and he's, he's buried in Africa today. And so if his vision had only been about him and if he had never thought of starting an organization, his vision to reach the world would have died with him. But because God gave him the wisdom to gather other people around him, not only his team there in Africa, but this organization that would become Baptist Midmissions, because of that type of vision and strategy, Baptist Midmissions continues to this day. And so it took a group of men, and really, BMM has enjoyed a wonderful legacy of that, a wonderful legacy of strategically advancing the building of Christ's church. And as I think about strategic advance, there are a couple things that come to mind. Number one, strategic advance includes or, or needs energy. Or, or maybe another word for that is initiative. When people are eager to accomplish more with fresh ideas on how to do that. Strategic advance requires initiative or energy. The second thing that it, it requires is synergy. If, if energy is people taking the initiative, synergy is people working together to get it done. One is initiative, the, the second one is, is interdependence, people working together. And that's one of the beauties of a mission organization. You know, could independent soul churches send one missionary out all by themselves and serve in a, in a country all by themselves? Is that possible? Yes, that's possible. But the beauty of synergy, which by the way, that's a, it's a biblical word too. When you read in the, in, in the scriptures, co-workers or co-laborers together with God, the Greek word there is soon ergos or soon ergoi. And it's the word we get synergy from. It talks about people working together. And so it's a biblical idea, this idea of synergy. But the beauty of synergy is this, that when people work together, exponentially more is accomplished than when they work by themselves. Right. When people work together, exponentially more is accomplished than when people work by themselves. It's like one plus one equals four. That's not just new math, okay? <laughs> and in terms of the efforts, I like the way one mission organization president described it in a book. He said this, it's like plywood. When you put four thin slices of plywood together they are not four times stronger they are exponentially stronger because together they're a lot stronger and when we together do missions if i can put it that way more gets done for the glory of god and god uses this church to partner with other churches to partner with bmm or other organizations like us to accomplish greater things and so the collaborative efforts of church missionary teams and and agency personnel result in it results in amazing fruit Fruit like entire church planting movements. It was my joy this last December to go to Central African Republic, which is where Haas went. At the time, it was called French Equatorial Africa, and it really encompassed about four or five uh, African nations that are now separate nations today. And to gather with, thou, with about a thousand uh, Baptist brothers and sisters in Christ to, to celebrate 100 years. They had months before. Uh, in a more remote part of Africa where it wasn't safe to, for me to even go, had gathered with 4,000 believers. Can, can you imagine 4,000 independent Baptists <laughs> getting, getting along and getting together even in North America? Honestly, I've never been in a gathering of 4,000 independent Baptists in North America where we got along with each other. And yet, and yet God has used BMM in great ways in places like that and in other places around the world to start church planting movements, which is just a part of uh, BMM's DNA. Part of that strategic advance has been starting organizations like Bibles International or Bible Translation Society that right now is working on, I think, it's, I think the most recent number is 46 different translation works around the planet 
to get the heart, the Bible in the heart language of the people that have, have yet to have a copy of the scripture. Can you imagine that? Not having a copy of the, of the Word of God in your heart language. So Bibles International, Campus Bible Fellowship, Reaching Collegiates for Christ, EBI, which isn't too far from here at Seabury, that's translating good biblical material into Spanish for the Spanish-speaking world. Uh, Bible schools all over the world, because we realize that you know, a key to spreading the gospel is training the nationals. And so even when I was in Central African Republic, there's six Bible schools and a seminary uh, there in, in, in Central African Republic spreading the gospel. So those are just great examples of that happening. And so that's one of the advantages of an agency is that we can collaborate together to strategically advance the building of Christ's church. Uh, thirdly, it's biblical. I mentioned it already earlier. Matthew 16, 18 says what? Christ said it. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so what we're talking about is, is just doing what God wants to do. He wants to build his church around the world. And I'm so glad that, that that's what BMM is all about. I think of what William Carey said in regards to even his difficult circumstances as the father of modern missions. He said this, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Christ promised to build his church. So let's get on board with what he promised to do and be a part of what he's doing around the world and so the heart of Baptist Admissions is to evangelize the lost, it's to edify believers, it's to establish local churches, it's to equip leaders, and then to expand and plant more churches. And just do that cycle over and over and over and over again around the world. We're thankful for that biblical heritage. Our mission is devotional as well. This is significant because it's with his passion. A friend of mine put it this way, our passion for the lost and our passion for souls is not our own passion, it's a borrowed passion. What did he mean by that? What he meant is that it's really God's passion and when we spend time with God, his passion rubs off on us because God's passion is the souls of mankind, right? For his glory, reaching people for his glory. And so it's never self-generated and only spending time with God will make you passionate about what he is passionate about. It's devotional. It's also doxological. What's that word doxological? I know we sing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Doxological comes from the Greek word doxa, which means glory. So it's all about the glory of God. Missions is all about the glory of God. Now, I don't know if you read any of John Piper's stuff or listen to any of John Piper's stuff. He's a little controversial at times. And there are times where I don't agree with John Piper. There are also times where I read something that John Piper has written and I go, I don't agree with that. And then I let it soak in and go, maybe I agree with that. <laughs> then I think about it a little bit more and run it through my mind and the greatest scripture and go, oh, I guess I do agree with that. And so John Piper wrote in a, in a fantastic book on missions. If you've not read it, I would encourage you to read it. It's called Let the Nations Be Glad. He wrote the following. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. That's what I read and went, what? <laughs> this is, I read this when I was a pastor too, before I was president of a mission organization. What? And then he said this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, worship is. Okay, now he's got me thinking. Missions exist because worship does it. Okay. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Yeah. Because God is ultimate. Okay, right on. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal in missions. It is the goal in missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. Missions begins and ends in worship. And I can say amen to that. I hope you can too. You might have to let it soak in a little bit. Okay, It's all about God's glory. 
And when, when a person comes to Jesus Christ, they become a believer. But ultimately, what else do they become? A worshiper. That's right. A worshiper. And so missions ultimately is about the glory of God. It's not about just missions. It's, it's ultimately doxological in its purpose. That is, by the way, why Baptist Midmissions, when we were founded, chose this verse from Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 to be our, our, our theme verse, our missions verse. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That picture, by the way, is on the wall in my office at Baptist Midmissions. Because when I was becoming the president, I, I, I wanted our graphic artist to put something together to remind me every day why it is I'm there. Why, why would I serve BMM? Because someday I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder. Think about this, and so are you. We're going to stand shoulder to shoulder at the throne of Jesus. <laughs> at the throne of Jesus. And worship him with people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Won't that be an amazing day when we, we worship Jesus Christ together? And so it truly is a doxological mission for us to do all of this with his passion and for his glory. And then it's also ecclesiastical and vital partnership with Baptist churches, churches like Faith Baptist Church. We love the partnership that we enjoy with your church. I like to think of it this way. Imagine a local church doing by themselves what a mission agency can help them do together with the resources of other churches. What does a mission agency do? Sometimes people ask me that. What's a mission agency do? Well, imagine, imagine you as a local church having a missionary, and you're going to send that missionary all by yourself, and you're going to figure out the following. Okay? All by yourself. You're going to figure out how much does it cost to live in Tokyo, Japan. So how much support will a missionary need in Tokyo, Japan? And what does that look like compared to the jungle of Africa? There's a big difference. <laughs> a huge difference. Okay? So a mission agency helps with missionary finances. Imagine that missionary then having to pay taxes. In some cases, in both nations, let alone just having to pay quarterly self-employment tax in the United States. And so Baptist Midmissions has, of all things, a tax department, a CPA, and a tax department that helps missionaries with taxes. Imagine following all the government guidelines of the said nation that your missionary is going to be living in. Not to mention the said guidelines of our nation here that they have to also follow. One of the beauties of a mission agency is team approach, being able to serve together with others in a team. And typically we organize and we have six missionaries on a field into a field council that are working together in a collaborative manner to continue to, to build the church there in that region. Veteran council. Um, imagine again the, the beauty of an organization where there's a field administrator who has served in that field or at least in that continent and has, is a veteran missionary and a resource for that missionary when they face challenges on the field. One of the new things at Baptist Midmissions is, is a ministry called Safe Haven for Missionary Soul Care. It's actually a, a biblical counselor that's available to help missionaries. You know, not, not going around the local church and respecting the, the authority of the local church, the sending church especially, but in, in collaboration with the sending church to help missionaries when they face really tough situations because missionaries are people too. And they face the same challenges that you face day in and day out. And so we're thankful to be able to provide that at Baptist Missions. I like to think of, this, of it this way. We serve churches and missionaries in order to accelerate, in order to accelerate the spread of the gospel worldwide. We do what we do so that they can do what they are called to do without all the distractions. Because there are a lot of them when you're living on a foreign mission field. And so it's a joy to be able to serve them. Imagine a solitary church doing all those things 
and so much more when an organization can help with that. And so we're, we're thankful we can help with that. And it's, and it's worldwide, it's global. We're in about 50 nations. We have missionaries that are serving in about 50 nations today around the world, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the past, that's the present. And then finally, I want to conclude with the future. And if, if you want to pick up one of these little brochures in the back on, the, on our table after Sunday school, you can. It's called Advance the Vision. And this kind of summarizes what I'll, what I'll share in the next few minutes. And then I want to give you a chance for questions, okay? So be thinking of questions if you have them. Um, as, I was, as I was considering whether or not this was God's call to serve in this capacity, uh, part of what God was doing in my heart was putting a burden on my heart for, for what the Lord might want to do through Baptist Admissions in the future. Um, I was perfectly content to serve in the pastorate. I had been in the pastoral ministry for 26 years. In a lot of ways, was serving, if I can call it this, in my dream church, a church that was really growing and thriving and doing well. And we were in the middle of a capital campaign and beginning a building program. And so of all times to, to, to leave a church, that was not the time uh, to do so. And yet God began to work in my heart. And one of my counselors was the former president of Faith, Faith Baptist Bible College, my alma mater. And I'd served there for a while. And, and I called him about whether or not this was God's will. Would you pray with me? And all those types of things. And he said this to me, Dr. Maxwell, James Maxwell. Uh, he said, you know what, Pat, if God wants you to do this, you need to ask God to give you a specific burden for a sense of the future of Baptist admissions and where, where, where you might want the Lord to take it. And so it was a result of that that I spent a considerable amount of prayer and, and just started asking, okay, God, what are some specific goals for the, at least the beginning of my ministry at Baptist admissions? And so I refer to this as advance the vision because it, it is really advancing the vision of our founder, William Haas, now two years, 102 years later. And what he wanted to do in terms of reaching the billions and awakening the churches. And so here are some of the things that God laid upon my heart. They all, they're all two and zero, okay? They all have a two and a zero in them. Um, I'm sorry, for those of you that like math, I like numbers, and, and it helps me remember things. And they are 20-year goals, and they were, they were goals that the Lord put on my heart in 2020. So lots of twos and zeros here. Um, but these are what the Lord laid on my heart. The first is 20,200 prayer partners. I'll talk about this in the morning service, but, but part of what we're asking God to do is, is supply us with people who will do what Matthew 9.38 commands. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest field. Is there anybody here that can't do that? Right? Every believer in Jesus Christ can pray and obey what God's command is there to, to pray the Lord of the harvest. And so prayer won't be the only thing we do, but it'll be the first and the most important thing we do. I love the way E.M. Bounds put it. Prayer can do anything that God can do. Uh, another writer said this, the advancement of the gospel is always to be coupled with desperate prayer. Or someone else said, prayer is the fuel of global missions. And so part of what I'm asking you as a, as a church and as individuals to do this over the course of today and this week is to join me in being one of those prayer partners. By signing up, there's a sign-up sheet out there and become one of my prayer partners. Someone that's willing to say, I can pray daily for more missionaries, for more harvest laborers. All of us can do that. The, the URL code will get you there. Uh, there is also a, a brochure out there about that. There's a sign-up sheet right in the middle. And then there's a brochure that looks just like what's on the screen there. And that's a 30-day prayer guide to how to pray for more missionaries. And one of the things that happened as I initiated this was people started emailing me and saying, okay, Dr. Rodel, I've been praying, but it's kind of becoming mundane, kind of becoming, you know, the same thing day in and day out. 
you know, how can I be praying for more missionaries? And, and so we started thinking about that, and we put together this prayer guide for 30 days. And, and some people have asked me since then, so when I get to the end of the prayer guide, you're going to put out a new one? <laughs> no. <laughs> Start over, okay? <laughs> Begin back at, back at day one. So if you become one of our prayer partners, make sure you get one of those booklets, okay? We have a big stack of those booklets. So sign up if you would, become a prayer partner, and then grab one of those booklets, and let's begin to pray and ask God uh, to send more laborers into the harvest field. I'll talk more about that in the morning service. The second is 2020 donors that would give to missions. Give directly to the Global Impact Fund that enables Baptist missions to serve the missionaries that are around the globe. And again, why $20? Well, back to that 20 thing, right? Uh, and and let, let's, let's admit it. Most of us, probably almost all of us, could give $20 a month to missions, right? Amen. Probably almost all of us. I started giving to missions as a, as a teenager. Our church did a Faith Promise missions program back when I was 15 or 16 years old. And I, I loved what that did in my heart uh, in terms of, of focusing my heart as a teenager on missions because I was giving directly uh, to missions. And, and, I, and I don't say that to bypass this local church because you need to give your local church first and you need to make sure you're at least tithing to your local church, okay? Uh, but, but we could give $20 a month to missions. One of my favorite stories is a story of a letter I received from a, a widow um, who was a pastor's wife living on Social Security. And she wrote this beautiful letter in, in the handwriting of yesteryear, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you know how when they used to teach, yeah, yeah, legible handwriting back in the day, used to teach that in school. This beautiful handwritten note from this elderly pastor's widow and, and, and closed in this note was this check. And she said, you know, I'm living in Social Security, and at the end of the month, I don't usually have much. And so I asked God if he would, this month, provide me with $50 once all of my bills were paid and all my things, everything was taken care of so I could send it to Baptist Missions for missions. And wouldn't you know, <laughs> she said in the letter, I got to the end of the month, and, and I had $100 left over. So enclosed is my check for $100 for missions. Truly a, a widow's might right? Truly a widow's might. A woman who sacrificed for the cause of Christ. And there are people like that all over America today that are sacrificing for the cause of missions. We're so thankful for them. 202 donors giving $200 a month. And that really, that could be individuals. I realize there may be folks that want to uh, engage in missions in that way. But I'm thinking also in terms of churches, because what has happened over the course of the last couple of decades is, is that as, as things get tight in some churches, the first missions giving that gets stopped is the missions giving to the organization, right? And I, I get that. You want to keep supporting your missionaries. That's a good thing. But that makes it difficult for, for organizations like BMM to be able to serve those missionaries. And so we're inviting people and churches especially to join us in that way. 20 new missionaries a year. Um, that's a significant goal for us. Like almost every sister organization that I know of, independent Baptist organizations, uh, our numbers have been going down for the last number of decades and so 20 is a significant number and really that's the greatest greatest uh, prayer request that we have is that god would provide us with 20 new missionaries a year we had 11 this year they're on there's a there's a magazine back there on our table that shows you the pictures and and stories of those 11 new missionaries but we're asking god for 20 20 new missionaries a year and then we're also asking god for 20 new fields and and 20 new ministries and asking him to, to give us that opportunity. There's one that we just, just opened, a, an island off the coast of Africa that we just opened here the last few weeks. 
and we're excited about that. There's another nation in Africa that we would like to open that is predominantly Muslim, um, but it is, is not as strict in terms of, of uh, what a lot of the Muslim nations are. And so we can get in there in a, it doesn't have to be quite as much creative access in terms of how we, we get into that nation. So we're looking forward to that. And uh, asking, asking the question, what part does God want you to play uh, in the future of Baptist Missions? All of us can pray, most of us can give, and maybe God would lay it on the heart of somebody here uh, to go and to serve God in missions. What questions do you have? We have seven minutes, I think. Yeah, six or seven minutes left, if that's all right with Pastor, for us to ask questions. Okay. Yeah, back there, Paul. Pastor Paul. The 938 is taken from Matthew 938. And so it's Matthew 938 that says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. Yep, good question. I kind of went through that fast, so, yeah. Okay, what other questions? I know I've gone through a lot of information here this morning. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, when, when a missionary ends their service with Baptism and Missions, we send a letter to all the supporting churches and supporting individuals that say that you can continue to support them up until this date. And as of this date, we will no longer receive funds for that missionary because they're no longer serving with us. And it depends on the circumstance, but usually it's about three months um, from when you know they have notified us and we know and it gives them time to report to their churches and things like that. But yeah, they always they always get a letter saying this is the, the cutoff date, I guess you could say. Yeah, to keep those types of things current. Good question. Yes, over here. Um, so do you generally, well, I'll put it like this first, is do you um, adopt the su supporting of missionaries that are already out in the field, or do you um, make sure that you are putting missionaries out in the field generally? So basically making sure that they are trained yeah, typically what happens is a missionary comes to us and they're a new missionary. And so they've sensed God's call to, let's just say Brazil. Brownie points for the Van Lowe's, right? <laughs> um, let's just say Brazil. And, and so probably they've been there to visit. Uh, they've in all likelihood have had some kind of training, whether Bible college, seminary, or something like that. They have a, a church that says God has called them. That's, that's vital. Uh, there's a commissioning church following the New Testament pattern like Saul and Barnabas as they were sent out of the Antioch church. And so they have this whole reference check. And so then we, they go through a process to become a missionary. Now, occasionally a missionary will come to us that maybe wasn't with an organization and realizes they need an organization. They already have some support. That may be more what you're describing. Occasionally that happens, but that's not the norm. Usually it's somebody that's brand new that's, that's coming with us and uh, beginning their career as a missionary. Thank you. Others? How many missionaries? There are about 450 missionaries that are with us that are career missionaries or short-term missionaries up, serving up to two years. Um, there are a number of other shorter um, 
uh, groups that go or summer interns or things like that. And then, then, then Lord, uh, there are a number of missionaries that are retired as well. But the ones that are either career or up to two-year service is about 450. Yes? With that many, do you have some sort of uh, organizational structure where there are groups, et cetera? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. So we have field administrators. So a field administrator uh, coaches, I like to use the word coach, um, coaches missionaries in different regions of the world. And a lot of it is, is both regional in terms of continents, but it's also in terms of numbers. So one of the unique things is, is that right now we have a field administrator for both Europe and Africa. And again, it's a numbers thing. Um, but of all things, South South America is split in two because of the number of missionaries in Brazil, and, and Brazil's our largest foreign field, and so we have one field administrator for all of Brazil, and then another field administrator for the rest of Spanish-speaking Latin America, okay? And then recently we combined um, North America with Asia, which may seem completely <laughs> disjointed, but it was a matter of, of what was best given the circumstances. And so we have one field administrator that's for North America and then also for Asia. So all of them have a, a veteran missionary who is a field administrator who serves as, as like, I, like I said, he shepherds them. He's there to help them. He visits them, um, especially that first term. Every first term missionary will get a visit from their field administrator just to see how they're doing, you know, how they're um, acclimating to the culture, learning the language, just the, the, the highest um, likelihood of a missionary quitting is after their first term come back to the states after the first term and go that was too hard um, we're going to call it quits and so we really want to see how a missionary is doing in that first term and the other thing that bmm does is what's called field councils or field teams actually is the new term that we're using for that where if there are at least six missionaries on a, on a field they form a team and they get together at least annually in some cases they get together three or four times a year um, to, to kind of collaborate with what their ministry is and in larger fields like like Brazil, they're actually, they were at one point split into three regions. You know, Brazil's a huge nation. And so they were split into three nations. And that helps them also to collaborate with things like Bible Institutes and a lot of other things. So that's part of the organization structure of Baptist missions. Yeah? You talked about creative access countries. Was that like working mm-hmm. as a, a job that gets them into that country? Yep. Like, what are some of the types of jobs that Great. So the question was, what are some of the types of jobs that can get you into a creative access nation? And that's really one of our new focuses for the future of, of Baptist Admissions is just that. So uh, teaching English has been the classic one uh, in communist nations, especially, although that right now that's pretty shut down in that communist nation. Um, but teaching English can be one. And you don't have to have gone to college to teach English to teach English, okay? Usually you have to have a college degree, but beyond that, that's it. Um, medicine is another one. And I'll talk about that a little bit in my morning message that medical missions has really been uh, a, a foot in the door, especially in Muslim nations, where they allow us in because of medical missions. Uh, business as missions or marketplace ministry is, is a new opportunity, especially in Muslim nations. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that in my morning message as well, of just being willing to own a business, start a business, or trade. Like we have a missionary, and I don't, I don't know if these are, reco- are these recorded, are we on video? Okay, so I won't, I won't mention the names. Um, but there's a, there is a Muslim nation, uh, a predominantly Muslim nation, where our missionary is trading in furniture in order to be there on a business visa. And so he's wholesaling furniture and sailing, selling that in order to be there, stay there. Um, and that's a small portion of his time, but he does have to give some of his time to do that. That's the only way he can be in that country. 
And so there are places like that. If, you're, if you have an IT job and can work remotely, we'd love to have you be part of a team where, where maybe you don't necessarily say, well, I'm a preacher, missionary, da, 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 da. No, I need to work a full-time job, and I want to be there to help. And so we're trying to put together teams to go to some of these creative access nations that are typically Muslim, uh, Hindu, or communist um, to, to have a team that can get visas using business as the reason that they're there and, uh, and then be a part of a team of, of a church planting effort in places like that. So it's exciting. Creative access is really exciting, especially uh, businesses, missions, or, or marketplace ministry. Great question. Thanks. That's like one of my favorite questions. <laughs> I can go all day on that one. <laughs> all right. I think we're out of time, aren't we, Pastor? Okay. All right. Ruth and I will be at the table, and we'll be here this morning. We're looking forward to tonight and through the week, and we'd love to answer more questions. So let me just close in prayer. Father, thank you for that great commission that we started out with today, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations. Thank you for this church and its burden to do so. Help them, Lord, to reach people locally and globally. Bless in the morning service. We pray that Christ's name might be exalted through the preaching of your word and the singing of, of the hearts of God's people. In Jesus' name, amen.